Welcome to the Tone Duff Sessions, hosted by Bruce Duff, author of The Smell of Death, musician, producer, and artist manager. The conversations are recorded at Tone Duff Studio in Hollywood, California, and are a feature of Rare Bird Radio. All right, welcome to the Tone Duff Sessions. Here we are. Uh, we have some very special guests today. Pretty excited to have them. They're on tour of the West Coast right now. We have Reverend Beatman and uh, Sister Nicole Isabel Garcia. Isabel. Isabel Garcia. Isabel. Got to say it right. Uh, and they are here to uh, talk about what they do and what they're doing uh, all the way from Switzerland. Yeah, I'm from Switzerland. Nicole, she's from uh, Los Angeles. Yep. But do you do you live here now? I live here now. Okay. Yeah. But you guys met in Switzerland. Is that not we correct? We met in Los Angeles, actually. <coughs> yeah, yeah, in Los Angeles on a show, kind of a what was that? Through our it was friend. downtown. Yeah. Kind of a like garage band. It was really good. The band was good. I remember. I, I bought a seven inch, <laughs> and so I met her. Yeah. Your bio ready. says that you were on a pilgrimage to burn, and that's how you met. But you know, and, and we definitely believe don't let the truth get in the way of a good <laughs> story here around briefly, here. Yeah. Briefly, okay. and then yeah. I kind of showed up again in Switzerland. All yeah. right. Yeah. So, uh, how's it work? You come over here. You guys have a few catch-up rehearsals, or how do you get together to record, or how do you work those locations out? Um, we usually, one of us flies over and is super jet lagged and then we'll set up in the living room and kind of try to rehearse. One day before then, the show. And then we go the on a crazy <laughs> tour <laughs> and by the end of it we, we have figured out yeah. a lot of the songs. You know that the music what we play is very yeah. simple so it's uh, based on blues, garage, rock yeah. and roll, so the couple chords. So we just have to find each other and then we play with, with each other. It's not like... Uh, we have to write a book about the songs we, we do. It's like super easy, so we don't need a lot of yeah, time we for just rehearsals. Have to, yeah, exactly. <clears throat> There's a certain mentality for that, though. I find that stuff that's really easy is all can also be really confusing to yeah. keep what's what straight, you know. Yeah, it's the hardest because, you know, he's actually has the kick drum, and I have all the off beats, so we really yeah. have to be in time. I really just have to watch him. Yeah. So. And for me, most important yeah. is, the, you know, when we play together, it's... Of course we play a song, but we have to play together. We have to find each other. If, mm -hmm. we, if we don't find each other, if we just play a song, I, I don't want that. So I get super angry, aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> but when we find each other, it's, it smokes. It's really good. So yeah. We normally do that. And she's a great, she's a drummer like a caveman. So, you know, she hits the drum like a maniac and it really helps. To but you're laying the down the downbeats with the kick. So that is kind yeah. of a weird thing. It's like... Yeah two playing as one, and then you're also covering keyboards mm -hmm. and you're doing the guitar. Yeah. Uh, since you can't see me out there, that's, uh, uh, Nicole is doing the keyboards and the Reverend is doing doing the guitar. Do you like being called the Reverend? Is that how I should address you? Yeah, that's good. All right, very good. <laughs> Wanted to make sure. Uh, okay, so now you're on tour of the, uh, of the East, of the West Coast. How's that going? How are people rolling in? How was the hi-hat? Yeah, that was our first show. It was a soft start to the tour, so we have some time off now, and then we really take off on Wednesday. But it was good. I mean, people yeah, it was came. A great, good show. Up, people came. Yeah, yeah. but we were a bit uh, stiff. It's gonna be better. So yeah. yeah, but the people liked it. Now you're playing uh, next week. You're playing the Debauch Arena, mm -hmm. which I. 
didn't really know about and a friend was telling me about it and I looked it up. It's a lot of good bands. Yeah. That's going to be, yeah, and I think yeah. it's already sold out, correct? It sold out instantly. They yeah. didn't expect that, but yeah. None but, what, um, but Pete sets up, it's fantastic. Yeah, this Pete He's, Slovenly. He's yeah. Right. He has this idea of doing something. It's, he doesn't calculate before. He just wants every, everything and then if he have everything, <laughs> then he starts to calculate. You know, he's, he's completely a doer. And he does, the, he lives in Europe, right? In Holland yeah, at the moment. So. So. And well, he, does that, right he yeah. does that a lot. He does that a lot in Europe. So I played on one of his crazy festivals in, I think, Greece once, and then one in Napoli and in Italy. And then some other How did he uh, settle on Reno? I think he's from Reno originally. From oh, yeah. yeah. All right. I think that's the story. Hometown. Yeah. yeah. So and he has this crazy bike. You know, it's like he, he has a bike uh -huh. where uh, like five or six seats. It's for a whole band. A, bike a band for, bike. A band bike, and All the right. band plays on the bike. <laughs> you have drums, organ, guitars, <laughs> and then he drives around with a stupid bike, and the band is playing on this on this bike. Wait, so he powers the entire bike? Yeah, does everyone? Think, is yeah, he do all the pedaling? Yeah, I, no, I think there are everybody, ha everybody. Everybody has, has a pedal. pedal. Okay, so. <laughs> I, that seems a little more fair. <laughs> like Jesus! <laughs> what a great idea! He's, he was. Hey, Beatman, look at this! It's amazing. So. So we're gonna see that probably. <laughs> I hope we don't have to play idea. that. <laughs> yeah, a little bit uncomfortable. Uh, speaking of don't, what what you expect when you uh, you know when you do play live, I really got a, a lot of enjoyment out of your uh, backstage writer. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Me too. I don't know why that was said to me. I, I can't I can't guarantee I'm gonna provide all that here, but uh, it was pretty great. My favorite. What was my favorite part? Uh, after the show, get your, uh, yes, helping hands, smiling faces. <laughs> no, get your stuff off the stage immediately. There's a house party starting in 30 minutes. Oh, and can get out of the backstage as well because DJ Shithead is arriving in 15 minutes. That's yeah. so perfect. I, I, everybody's been through that. So. Everybody. Yeah. Like, fuck like, you. Yeah. Really? Oh, sorry. I don't you know. can say that. We are, say that we're on the internet, man. Yeah. Everything goes. Everything goes as much as you want. But now, here's another thing. I used to... Uh, be the uh, production manager at a club right here in town, and uh, I believe it was the rapper, KRS-One, I got his writer, and this is only the second time I've seen the same thing on a writer, he was the other one. Uh, he wanted a Bible uh, put oh, in the dressing room for him. Really? Now, in your case, it says Bible in native language, I use it in the show. Okay, yeah. okay fair enough, you want a native But we his, he just don't. wanted to read it, and I, I, was, oh. I wrote on the thing, we are strictly a bring your own Bible venue. Uh, you know, I'm yeah. sorry. BYOB, that's... That's right. Really but okay, so then, do you read in the native language? To the people from no, the no, just no, they, it's just a prop. Yeah, yeah I gotcha. they like one time they gave us the yeah, Bible. Right. Oh, so you and never actually like, get oh, it. It's wow. one of those things. Normally, sometimes they get. I have Bibles from Japan. I have Bibles yeah. in Greek language now. But I tell you, it's it's on the stage then, and sometimes uh, if if a string breaks or whatever, <laughs> if we have time, I take it and read some bullshit out of it. So. Well, a reverend needs his Bible. I think yeah. that's a fair enough request. <laughs> Karis one, it. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe not. Um, so I want to do a, uh, you know, kind of, here's something, again, in your bio, maybe it's correct, maybe it isn't, but it uh, lists with such bands as the Monks, Sonics, Mummies, Neil Young, and even Prince. Now, is this a list of influences, or is this bands you guys have actually shared the stage with? Yeah. Which one? Uh, we played 
with you uh, so you've played yeah. with Prince somewhere yeah yeah it's uh, he makes those after shows I played in Holland in uh, in Paradiso with him together and he makes his after shows he has this big show you know yeah. 10,000 people and then always after the shows he make a little show and this one was in Paradiso and they asked me then was uh, was lightning beat man was my wrestling show and so I played with Prince together. <laughs> what? I didn't know that. That's yeah. pretty amazing. Yeah, it's good. So. <laughs> that was amazing. So yeah, well, and there, there was... Uh, oh, Neil, tell me about Neil Young. He makes these jam sessions then. And those shows are normally much more interesting than the, the big shows he makes. Yeah. Well, and and uh, how, tell me about playing with Neil Young. Neil Young was at the Jazz Festival Montreux. And I played with B.B. King, Neil Young and T-Model Ford. Wow. I was with the whole band. I had the whole band. Gary Moore from from the Miracle Workers was the guitar player, and Chris Rosales from the Jackets was the drummer. And yeah, we all had a whole band. So really now, and did you call that Reverend Beatman, or was that another band? No, it's Reverend Beatman and the Unbelievers. Okay, because yeah. you've had a lot. For people who are not as familiar with this as maybe some others, there have been many incarnations of of you as uh, Lightning Beatman, Reverend Beatman. Yeah. Uh, there's been a couple bands, the Monsters. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And are the are the bands still ongoing too? Or are you are more com comfortable in the two person setting? No, the the Monsters are still going, uh, but we have nine kids in the band. That's a lot. That's a lot of organizing, uh, making tours. But we we still yeah. play. And Monsters it's, are still going strong. Yeah, and it's for me, it's a bit too brutal to go on tour with those guys. They want to stay out late uh -huh. and, uh, get up early before. and drive a lot and drink a lot and yeah. it's i nearly died on tour with no this once. this oh <laughs> it kills me and also the show reverend beatman is is kind of easy then i'm a one-man band uh, it's my songs and mm -hmm. with nico together anyway so we can kind of split the singing but the with the monsters is like um, a fist in the face music is like super power, super fast. Yeah, I was listening to it. Super good wild and uh, it's like after one. But it seems like that's sort of where you came from, like that kind mm -hmm. of you know raw garage rock stuff that was uh, yeah, like the Mummies, for example, like yeah. just that. That was yeah. when the, when they came out. It was such a revival, and definitely yeah. people. Yeah, it's sort of a new way of looking at stuff. Yeah, which I guess, uh, Zom, uh, the mummies would have been around the time you started your label, right? Like '92, wasn't that sort of their heyday? Yeah, yeah. I think we played with the mummies uh, in the first European tour. I think it was 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 '92 or something like that. Yeah. yeah, I think we played with the monsters the first time with them together. Yeah. Right. So uh, that's also when you started your label. Uh, was that just? Uh, I don't want to use the word convenience because it's never convenient to own a record label. But I mean, just to like control your own output and your own product, and then it just sort of snowball with other bands from there. Is that basically what happened? Yeah, it, it was not the start. The start was or start was in the mid '80s already. I had a tape label where I recorded bands live on stage, then I bootleg them and sell them, make it illegal. Then I had this illegal label. Uh, make pirate records, I print, print stuff and so And so in 1992 it's kind of, it's getting professional or organized and uh, like a real label. So, uh, and nobody wanted to put out my records, so I did it myself. And then uh, going on tour a lot, also seeing a lot of bands, they had no chance to get a label because it's too, too garage and too strange and too wild. So I had, uh, uh, my my mission was actually to uh, to put those uh, records out of those bands, or they're gonna gonna be forgotten. So 
like King Kong and the Shrines, they were one of the bands, and Dead Brothers, and Royal Devil's Motorcycle. I put a lot of bands out who would, who would never have had a chance to, to have their records. And did you, were they coming to you, or were you going to them when you would see them, like, hey, let's get a record out? It's always different, so, yeah. yeah. But normally, I go to them, so I, I if, if something hit me, I see a lot of shows, and most shows are boring, And but when I see then this band who blows my head off, I just, I gonna go there and say, hey, I just, let, let's do something. Right. I got distribution worldwide, and I pay you the studio, and let's make a record. And anybody wants to look this up, it's uh, Voodoo Rhythm Records, uh, definitely worth looking at online, quite a catalog. Yeah. So you must be putting out four or five, six records a year at least, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like that. Okay. Are you a one-man shop, or do you have a uh, you know crew, or how? Yeah. It work? Started as one man, then we are, were like five, five persons five working. Now. But then the Swiss franc went so Im enormous strong, and uh, we sell most of the stuff. Like I would say, ninety-five percent out of Switzerland, and Switzerland is not a part of the European Community. We are separated. Like America on a block off now, so it's, we are the, the same. So, and uh, this was uh, terrible. Now uh, we are three people working. So, and so you're just saying economically the way it works uh, for being in Switzerland, it's become difficult for you to. Uh, yeah, and it's very expensive in Switzerland. So everything, everything costs more for you to make, but then you can only sell it for so much everywhere else is what you're saying. No, to make and make it in the European community. It's I, I'm, I'm on the price of the European community, but I'm living in Switzerland, so a house to do rent apartment, it's like three times more than, for example, in Germany. But I have to sell the records for the same price the Germans buy the record, not for the price the Swiss, Swiss people buy the records. Right. Know? It's like nothing, actually. So, And with that nothing, I have to pay this rent that is like three times more than in Germany, for example. It's a difficult decision, though. It is, and it, well, I was just going to say, then why, why have you remained there when it might be better for you to, you know, reestablish your business in I don't know Germany or something? Yeah, I love my town. You okay, just quit. I've been yeah, to Bern. It's a beautiful <laughs> place. Yeah. Just quit and move. <laughs> yeah, no, I love my town, and she was she was in Bern too. You too. The people are great. They are really super social. It's great for the kids. I have a kid. I'm single father in Switzerland, and. Uh, it's just, I love this place. Great people. Everybody backs you up. Also, when you're totally down, you have friends who are coming over. Does your kid go to school there? Is he school age? Uh, he's 17. He's 17. Yeah. He's we were staying college, uh, kind of. My wife has uh, <coughs> some relatives in Switzerland. We stayed about three years ago. Yeah. It, was, it was great. Yeah. Uh, but one thing that was odd was their kids were, I guess, like junior high age. And... Uh, they don't eat at school for lunch. They had to go get them and bring them home every day for lunch and then take them back. So stupid. That's so that's so like a stupid. countrywide thing. Yeah. No, it's so really? much work. Yeah. yeah. I bring him to school. No, he, uh, he can walk by himself. But I have to go back home and cook. Then he eats and then I go back to the office and blah, blah, blah. Why would such a wealthy country do that? I have no idea. <laughs> France doesn't do that. Switzerland is kind of the only country in Europe does that. So. Yeah, interesting. Because I, I just noticed how much, you know, their whole day had to be around, yeah. you know, a school lunch when the kids are already at school. I don't know, it kind of blew my mind. Really yeah. stupid, yeah. It was, uh, we had a great time, though. <laughs> Love Switzerland. Yeah. Beautiful place. Um, so, not to dwell on the label too much, because I know you're on tour and want to talk about the band, 
But, you know, 92, I worked at an indie label as well, Triple X Records here in L.A. Oh, you did? Oh, cool. Yeah, and it was kind of the glory days for indie rock. So, but then that's been a long time. How have you weathered all the changes in the business uh, since 92 when everybody's buying uh, you know, c- yeah. CDs and LPs. But '92 is a terrible year Te- for for you in Europe, for example. Techno to- totally took over. So we were normally when we were playing, we were support bands of techno parties. So. You're kidding? Yeah, horrible. <laughs> and Nirvana and all that grunge that was kind of unique. But right. the, mo- the bigger thing was techno music and dance music and shit like that. So. Well, but I mean, I don't me know if it's label, changed that much yeah. since then, really, if you yeah. point it out that way. You know, because we're still battling pop and yeah, it's you know, dance music yeah. and what have you. But uh, also in 1992, when you mentioned that year, so it was uh, the downfall of the vinyl, of course. And uh, and when I started the label, so that was it's another stupid decision, actually. But it was worth it, definitely. Well, so then going through that, as you mentioned, vinyl kind of went got backburnered. Were you still making it at yeah, that point? Yeah, I'm, I was a vinyl label and still I'm... Vinyl, like I just make vinyl uh, CDs uh, because you can sell, send them cheap for promotion, and I I, I have all that Spotify and I YouTube I, ho- I have that as well, but the most money I definitely make with vinyl. So I'm well known for a vinyl label. I make special editions and. Uh, well, I think like also that. fans of garage rock. I mean, that's part of the deal, yeah. right? You want to have your definitely. records. And well, and the another important part of the label is he designs the vinyl so you're a great artist too and that's really the voodoo rhythm like you can tell this is voodoo rhythm Beatman probably made this cover and oh so you do the covers mm-hmm. as you're a graphic artist yeah mm-hmm. oh no I'm just a homemade graphic artist yeah, well never learned it but yeah, yeah. if but it looks my, good it looks really, good but my yeah, idea is uh, I am working with the bands and try to get the sound what I see and what they see you know I, I really push the band I'm a really pushy guy to make a really special product, I, I don't say uh, tell tell the band let's just make a record. I tell the band I want to make the best record ever on the market ever. And they first they don't believe. Then I said, yeah, I don't say that. Just ever. You know you have to rewrite the song and make it interesting. I want to have to people to listen to your music and blown away. So that's the first step. Then the second step is for me the graphic that the people go in a record shop and they see the cover and they don't even have to listen to it. They have to see the cover and they have to buy it. Mm-hmm. And that's my idea. So it's interesting that you both have to you push the band that hard on the music because I feel like uh you know, not to mention any names, burger hot dog, but I feel like a lot of uh, labels are almost the other direction. Let's do it as quick as possible. You know, let's let's add, you know, almost like yeah. it's cool not to care and just be kind of raw and ragged, no, which is cool. Yeah. But there's still a way of doing that and making it great. Yeah. And you know, beyond. No. Yeah, but beyond of course, with some bands, it, wor- it works. Like yeah. the Devils. The, uh, with the Devils, I don't. It's a band on my label from Italy. And I didn't have to say anything. It was so raw and so direct. This music was is so made. It's finished. You know that product is uh, the mm-hmm. whole band is made. So. But yeah. there are bands you really have to push that makes it, it makes it interesting. You know. Now, so then, besides the graphics, are you working with the groups a lot of times in the studio? 
not in the studio, but uh, before the studio, demo recordings and okay. all that stuff. Kind of give them some direction. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then I, I have a couple of studios I work with, and then I send them to those studios. We think it's the best. And then uh, uh, we create uh, this music together with the studio, but I normally I don't go to the studio. We okay. send that. And I guess a lot of your bands are recording elsewhere. Yeah, uh, we have those couple of studios we work uh, with, Outside Inside Studio, we yeah. recorded our album. In Italy. Mm -hmm. Then we have uh, Swamp uh, uh, Records in, in uh, Toulouse, that's also for a super raw punk sound is that. And then we have Star Trek Studios in Switzerland for more like um, vintage rockabilly or something like that. Cool. It's great to see, you know, like studios that can still do like analog stuff and make it sound vintage, which is a good sound, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. For, for me, for us, I think sound is very important. So yeah. I, I don't want to, we know that we are not uh, for the radios or or sound is totally not not what is in the radios but i i just want to have a special sound that fits to the music when i see that band so i don't i don't want to fit in a mainstream sound or something like that i want a unique guitar sound i want a unique mm. uh, drum sound or something like that and when we were in the studio we really worked on that so what so sounds good huh? yeah we tried really, a lot of things yeah. um for both of you really uh this sort of raw blues, almost kind of with from a southern United States kind of vibe. How did either of you, both of you, sort of find your way into that in the first place? Um, for me, it's uh, my roots are from Mexico, so I grew up listening to a lot of old ranchero music and mariachi music, and you know these old uh, female singers as well. So I think that's where my bluesy kind of folky whatever you want to call it comes from i was listening to your group <coughs> uh, i believe it's pronounced manos de chango yeah yeah that which was is kind of got a little, little ranchero while. in yeah, it a little yeah. bit it was a mix of uh, me and delaney davidson who's also on beatman's label so we were kind of trying to find a middle between us he's from new zealand actually and i'm from here but with mexico so that was a fun project to do. Uh, and w when, where do you grow up in Los Angeles? I grew up in San Dimas, actually. So that's about half hour east towards the desert. Okay. Yeah. There's something in San Dimas that's There's like the water. The water. That's right. Yes. <laughs> and Bill and Ted, of course. Ted. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't tell me. Yeah, you know, let's you know go. this. Yeah, let's go right now. Uh, were you in part of any of like a LA scene or punk scene or yeah, anything as a kid? Yeah, I mean, when I was in high school, like I always played the Farfisa or had All the right. Vox Continental, so I was playing in these like garage '60s horror, you know, whatever dark, dark sounding bands. I was always the keyboard player, like never in the front. And it wasn't until quite recently that, I'll, you know, I started writing my own music, singing, just doing whatever you know any myself. bands we would remember from around here uh, nah not worth no oh. they're very short-lived okay <laughs> yeah. i love that thing that we were you around during like sort of the cavern scene or is that a little too far back no yeah it was probably no it wasn't that long that would have been late 80s yeah. mm -hmm. i don't no. think you're that old i'm not that old okay no. <laughs> i am i am i admit it it's all right yeah. um 
And how about you? How did you uh, kind of find your way into like uh, the trashy blues just scene? Just talking about the Cavern time, I remember that. So yeah. I never was, but my friends who lives now in Bern, they grew up in the whole Cavern scene. The untold fables and all that stuff. So. Yeah, it was pretty fun. Yeah, it seemed like for you know things that kind of happened yeah. here in LA, it <coughs> went by sort of fast. It, like it didn't last like say you know hair metal or something yeah. like that, which seemed to drag on for endless time but the, it was pretty hot scene and when it was popping it was a lot of fun yeah yeah that's what i heard so yeah, yeah it's pretty it's cool changed a lot of people so yeah yeah, yeah well, and i think it was another thing where uh it, it it sort of showed people like you just hop in and do it yeah you know don't think about it too that's much just get involved yeah, yeah, and yeah. Uh, you'll find something that yeah, that works yeah, for you yeah. if you like it and i, I yeah. think that's a great thing about Type of, I mean, obviously, with your label and the type of music you're doing, it's like come one, come all. If you're into it, let's let's do yeah, this, yeah. which is great. Yeah. But I mean, going back, what what was, where did you hop on? Like, what what were you listening to as a, a youngster, and then where? How did you kind of find your way yeah. into this? No, I was born in the mid '60s, and uh, my parents had a record collection, but it was kind of uh, just. Uh, Bill Haley, Elvis, and stuff like that, seven inches. So their sweet spot was the early rock and roll time. Yeah, yeah. But then as teenager, we of course listened to that seven inches. There were no uh, digital radios or stuff like that. And uh, then uh, growing up a little bit in the end 70s, this uh, punk movement came, came out. But before, I was listening to Status Quo and uh, Uriah Heep and uh, Alice Cooper and all that stuff. So. But then we had this uh, radio where you can listen uh, to radio stations in England, AM mm -hmm. radios, you know, and we are from Switzerland. There was kind of one radio show in uh, one week for one hour who brings music for the youth back then. No joke, there was nothing for, the, for, for young people in Switzerland. So, so we had to find those tunes and uh, we, we found BBC England and they, they played and, uh, uh, those punk rock records and uh, stuff like that. And, and for me, this was like I, I, I just listened uh, to Doctor Feelgood, for example, and I was blown away. So, mm -hmm. and then uh, in the early eighties, <coughs> I was a kind of hair metal head, but uh, in Motorhead, Iron, early Iron Maiden stuff, and Venom, and sure. Venom blew my head off. This was for me the thing and Venom was for me kind of the mix uh, missing link between blues and music I want to do they are uh, if we if you listen to Venom it's really rock and roll oriented and I had this uh, Chuck Berry record for example and I see hey there's a there's there's a that that fits that's new wild crazy music my parents hated so much they couldn't stand it when i listened to to venom and there there is this chuck berry and this is the same you know it's their record and this is my record but the music is the same the energy is the same for me this was my uh, was a uh, was a blown away I, I wanted to do something like that then I started to make music so. I always felt to me like Venom was a band that went out of their way to make a harsh cranky clangy sounding record like so that your parents would obviously go, no get that shit off <laughs> definitely and, <yeah. laughs> and then when it cracked me up I, years after I'd been listening to him I was reading up on something and like 
Oh yeah, we started making this record because one of the guys in the band was an engineer at a recording studio, and we did. I go, this guy worked at a recording studio, and it sounds like this. Oh my god, oh my, he sucks. <laughs> How did he? Yeah. It's always like, well, if we do it, this it'll be right, but if we do this, it'll really sound bad. That's okay. cheating, you know. <laughs> All right, so in a way, then Venom was your your gateway to the blues. Yeah, yeah. Totally All right, totally. that's interesting. So weird. Yeah. Talking about Venom, Beatman did the most amazing cover of a Venom song on a new album. <laughs> oh, great! Of yeah. black metal, it's the best thing I've ever heard. So that's a great song. Yeah, it's, it's sort of like it, out there. it sounds different. It's their anthem. It's a I'm bet it it's does. So good. So good. I'll just bet it does. All right, yeah, I'm definitely going to come see you at either at. Ne I think I might go to Alex's just Alex because. You know, it's good it's sound. A, it's a great place. Yeah, great taco cool. place outside as well. That's true. Yeah. Yes, we love Alex's. Uh, but support Cafe Nila too. Uh, definitely look up tour dates online because they're up and you're going all you're going pretty far. I think I have them all here yeah. somewhere. Go straight up to Chico on Wednesday. Yeah. And, then and you're hitting San Tempe, Francisco Salt Lake City, always everybody's favorite to play. Boise, Idaho. Yeah, you're doing the whole deal, all the way up to Seattle. Yep. All right. Uh, have you been to all these towns before? No. This, this is, is this my is first U.S. tour. Yeah. I, I was, and but never, we, never was in Salt Lake City, I guess. Yeah. So I, was well, I think the venues are better this time, huh, for you? I think so, yeah. <laughs> the last time was there. I mean, Jesus yeah, Christ. Yeah, this is the first <laughs> legit tour, yeah. I think. Okay, and then, so, but it's just strictly this West Coast run. Are you going to get over to uh, the rest of our little... Not... Yet, little place we have here. We go straight over to Europe after this, and then we'll come back in August for a Midwest East Coast run. And yeah. are you guys booking yourselves as well, or do you have? We some have a booking agent. Yeah, okay, her name's Cat at Bucket City. Oh, yeah, she's Norwell. been amazing. Yeah. So Good. I'm yeah. working with her on the U.S. tour. Good. Yeah. Tell her I said hi. Hello. She has. So if me. anybody wants us to come to your town, write to us, write to Kat. Yeah, do <laughs> it. Make it happen. Well, and it, it, I think it's a pretty wild show. It, it looks like a lot of fun. I can't wait to see it myself. Um, and it, as soon as I was reading up on it, the first name that popped in my head, and I think I did see it in, in your write-up somewhere, was Hazel Atkins. Oh, yeah, yeah. Who kind of seemed, who was sort of, you know, <laughs> talk about a do-it-yourself guy. Yeah. You know. I visited him once. I went to America once. In the mid '90s, uh, he was—he's my only hero. So I don't have a lot of heroes, but Howling Wolf and Hazel Atkins. And in the mid '90s, uh, I decided to. There was no internet, for example. Uh, I, I didn't know where he lives. I just have. Such a stalker. <laughs> no, I just had this post post box address of him, mm -hmm. and then uh, he was in West Virginia or something. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And so I had MTV, uh, this uh, TV station back then. I had to make like a tour report with li uh, Lightning Beatman. And I, uh, <coughs> I was searching for Hazel Atkins. So I went uh, to West Virginia and then went to a lot of supermarkets and liquor stores when I thought he could maybe show up and post offices. And then after the 10 or 20th post office, they said, oh, the Hazel Atkins, the one-man band. <laughs> <laughs> and they speak a language, you know, I'm from Switzerland, I don't understand what they say, so it's like, fuck, yeah. Then they say, okay, drive away, like, for, for, for a half an hour, and then you see, like, hay, hay sticks, a lot of hay, take a right, <laughs> go to the river, take a right again, right and hay. then you see, see a lot of buses, 
abandoned buses. He lives in one of those buses, but don't get out of the car. Don't get out. Just honk the horn and wait until he comes out. Normally he has a gun in his hand. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that is, oh, that's, that's my man, yeah. And is that how it went down, sort of? Yeah, kind of. So. Well, then what? Uh, he, he, he wanted came to. Out? Yeah, yeah, it was really cool. He's such a great guy. He is a child inside. He was quite drunk and he wanted to grab my girlfriend. But uh, I saw his happy guitar and I went to his. Um, his room in the bus and it was like covered with Bible pages and uh, the most important things was cr uh, like colored you know the, the uh, and there was a picture of me on hi in his wall lightning beatman picture yeah I sent him the records probably once there was a picture of you of me in his room did you put it there no, no he did <laughs> <laughs> no, I sent him once a letter. Hey, hey, oh, Latkins, okay. I'm a big fan of you. Blah, blah. Then he wrote it. He, 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 wrote me he wrote me back, you know, it's this, with this handwriting. You say, Beat Man, this is great. Thank you, Lord. Play one of my songs. Because he probably found out if, if, I, if I play one of his songs or write or record it, he gets royalties he or something. <laughs> he could make money. <laughs> <laughs> But then he showed me his new songs. He just went to the studio, and one song was um, "I'm gonna burn down my bus and I'm gonna die." And so <laughs> I was pretty impressed. I remember uh, interviewing him. I guess when the Fat Possum stuff came out. Oh yeah. Which what was that like? Fifteen years ago or something? Yeah, least, something like yeah. that. And uh, talk about DIY. He told me that back in the fifties, when he was starting to do stuff, he kind of I guess around the same area where you found him, and uh, he couldn't get on the radio. So he built his own little radio transmitter <laughs> and just started transmitting his music. Yes, he's the best. Like, I'll show uh, you. I'll be on the radio. I'd, I'd let I'm you on know, the radio just, now. Come on. My chin dropped. I mean, how would you? Because, I mean, you think of him as this primitive guy, but he had the wherewithal to figure out how to build a transmitter. It's pretty amazing. Your best friend. Yeah, that's great. Um, you brought your guitar in. Were you thinking of doing a tune or anything? It's just, it's just electric guitar. Oh, I just brought okay. it in because I thought we have time. Because I broke strings on the last show, I could change it. Oh, okay. If you need to do a little repair work. <laughs> yeah. uh, tell me, I'll ask you. Let's talk a little bit about your uh, new album. Uh, how do you pronounce the name? I don't know. B-Man made that up. What's the name of it? Baile que? Yeah. Baile bruja muerto. Which means dead witch dance, correct? Yeah. yeah. That's, yeah. It sounds like really stupid. I just thought those three words looks really great, and so I put them together, and they put look put together really good. It's a little also. grammatically incorrect. I was going to wonder. Yeah. <laughs> I, tried, I did the translate thing on Google, and they go, yeah, "Did you yeah. really mean to say?" But, but Beatman's also known for grammatical errors, so it's that's part of the thing, right? Yeah. That's After like it's printed and it's all sent away <laughs> to all these countries, you're like, "Oh, oh shit, my shit. name's spelled wrong." Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. he's notorious for that. Uh, Still works. Is it based on La Bruja? Do you know what I'm talking about? La Bruja. Yeah. Which one? It's like a, a Just the folk song. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's great. Oh, uh, we love yeah, that song. Yeah. Love so that you know song. what I'm talking about. Yeah. Is that any... That, is that song is actually from where my mom's yeah. from. Well, it's definitely yeah. uh, from this song. Definitely. Yeah. All right. It's an amazing song. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, Dead Witch Dancing, whatever. That's, yeah. that's what it's about. That's where we're going. <laughs> uh, tell me about... Um, because I was sort of fast, I didn't really know about this from until I dug in a little bit further. I mentioned that I was interviewing you to uh, Manfred, who I, a buddy of mine from the Wall. Yeah, yeah. And I no, guess Manfred you guys played really together well. in yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Switzerland, and he was telling me about the lightning beat man thing, which yeah. I 
found rather fascinating. So run us through this. You would play a one-man show, and then uh, it involved wrestling members of the audience. Yeah. Okay, well... <laughs> <laughs> yes. Go, go through that 40 minutes a night for the for people listening, how that, how no, that works. It, it kind of started also in the beginning 90s. I was in Los Angeles, and I saw this uh, Lucha Libre for the sure. first time. Yep. I thought, oh, <laughs> shit, this is, like, fucking amazing. You know, people are yelling at each other, kill, 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 you fucking idiot, kill, kill. It's like uh, people let out their, their, their feelings, you know, then the, the game is over, and it was, it was all good. So, but this energy, I thought, is it like this is it? That's it. So I went searching for a wrestling mask. Then, then I found one in a sex shop in Los Angeles somewhere, and I brought it back home. Then I thought, okay, I have to make a. I want to make something with that mask. So, so there was no one-man band. So, so I thought, okay, I I, I start a one-man band, put the wrestling mask on, fight against myself, and always win. That was the idea. <laughs> And the second uh, rule was I have five songs and I played ten songs. So I made up five other songs live on stage in every show. So just made up songs, whatever. And just based on what you were seeing around you <laughs> at oh, yeah, the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And those songs who are uh, set, I play them that nobody knows what I'm playing. So. I just destroy everything, guitar out of tune, feedbacks, and I kill myself actually on stage. So. And every show is the another one was must be more extreme. So it was building. I, I did that for ten years about something like that. And then at the end, I had a whole band with the bass player, drums, guitar, and we had a wrestling ring. And people already came with wrestling masks to the shows. They were sometimes they were naked, jumping on stage. We were fighting. I broke my <coughs> nose, and the guitar player broke his hand. It was uh, it was a super wild time, and uh, it was just a little bit too wild, because I uh, also an idea was just to go over the limit. If you have a mask on, you are not the person that you normally are. You are you are behind the mask it's uh, but you can force people to do something they never would so so I forced them it was also the techno area you know they were standing there they just want to consume music and I hated that I went to the audience I grabbed them I beat them up and it was just too extreme then uh, 10 years later I, I said I cannot do that no more because I, I played in a museum in Switzerland, and they asked me, hey, Lightning Beatman, can you make a performance? Then I said, yeah, I can make a performance, a live performance. Yeah, we have some performance artists. They put a, a nail, a hammer, a nail with a hammer in the wall or whatever. So then I said, hey, my performance is very extreme. This is very good, very extreme is good. It's art, it's, it's good. So I played there. <laughs> I, I'm guessing that they didn't know what they were asking for. They were, they were not, no, they were hating me. So there was a salad buffet, so I jumped in the salad and threw the salad <laughs> on, on, on the paintings. And uh, I forced, I, I just <laughs> forced them to hate me. You know, it's not, it was not fun anymore. It was good, you know, go over the limit. But then the curator of the whole museum, they have to hold him back. And I just went to his face and yelled even more with the guitar, the song in his face, just like to get even more aggressive, everything. So then the show was over. They took, uh, took off the mask and congratulated him. Thank you. It was my performance. So. And that was uh, my last show. So. 
was for me was too extreme. That's that's it. Once the salad hit the painting, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you can't top that anymore. <laughs> no, that's it. There's fucking lettuce on the wall. Well, maybe, I guess that's salad. how you found religion. You know, <laughs> when you got to that extreme, okay, we got to dial it back a little bit. Yeah, you know, the other thing was also I lost uh, my voice after every show. I was young then, so so I I screamed. They, I have a song that was yelling and screaming s so long until the, the voice was lost. You know what I mean? Yes. The blood comes out. So. Jesus. And so, the, so I kind of lost my voice for one year and, uh, and I realized, hey, this is uh, making music is my life. If, if I cannot sing, it's, uh, this is what I love to do. And this was really stupid <laughs> to, to play with that, the, that tool, you know, to destroy the tool I, uh, I want to use for what I love to do. Sure. But you did it for 10 years, so it must have had... Yeah, it went more extreme, more extreme, of course, and it right. was really fun. I got a really good name in Europe, and I played in every club, and uh, played also with Prince, for example, with the Ramones and everything. And they wanted to see that, that I kill myself, I destroy myself on stage. I jumped with the guitar in a wall and fell down for 10 minutes, blackout. Stupid. <laughs> Pushing yourself to limit. <laughs> so, did you did that show go all over the world or uh, only Europe? Only Europe. So you never yeah. did it here? No. Okay. Yeah. And Holland was the first country. They were they were crazy enough to to dig that. So. People don't understand how crazy the Dutch are. The what? People don't understand how crazy the Dutch people are. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they are so. It's crazy. a thing. They are so weird. <laughs> so weird. <laughs> Every time we play, <laughs> these people. My wife's Dutch, that's why I, I, I'm in on it, so, believe me. I love it. Well, I think we've covered a lot of stuff. Oh, you know, another thing I wanted to ask you, just because I, I was uh, kind of fascinated by it when I, when I came across it. Uh, you put out a record by a Jerry J. Nixon. How did you yeah. come across this guy? I'd never heard of him before. <laughs> great. And it's good stuff. Yeah. It's, it's 50s rock. It's a fake. It's a fake? Yeah. Oh, you're letting everybody know you should tell that. <laughs> no, I didn't tell when I put it up. It's a long time ago. So it's actually my organ player of Dysoros. I have the band called Dysoros. <laughs> yeah. And he said, Beatman, I want to make a solo record on your label. And I said, well, okay, pff, but let's make something special. And he said, okay, let's make a 50s rockabilly record and sell it as, as original record. Then I said, oh, but you look like shit. It doesn't look really... <laughs> you <Good. look> like <laughs> yeah. We need somebody on the cover that looks good. So, so they went on the street and they picked the guy from a techno party or so. Then, you look good. You look good. Come, come on. But he looks like, you know, he's from yeah. 1958. Yeah, totally. They they dressed him up. They make pictures. Oh, this is a great story. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and they make these fake interviews. They went to the library and checked out the area where it could be. You know, the that it could fit. And with the radios and uh, the year and everything, also with the recordings, it's uh, over like 10 years, the recordings, different years. And they thought, okay, we could make use the Farfisa organ like two years before it's, it was getting famous. So Jerry J. Nixon would be like a super inventor of in that. Innovator, of course. And so they had this uh, Farfisa <laughs> organ in 1958 already, you know, for example. So <laughs> and it wow. sounds like... And they recorded like it's it's rockabilly, but it, there is a Farfisa organ that it's not in the sixties, but it's in the fifties. So uh, they they th thought about it to make it like a super great fake. So. 
And it sounds really good, Jesse. I know. It's, I was really into it. I was like, wow, I wonder why I never yeah. heard of this guy. But, you know, it's funny you say that because uh, I remember, like, when all the, you know, nuggets and then pebbles and how many more stones can we, like, unravel. Yeah. Yeah. Then I think it was Back to the Grave, that yeah. series. And I was listening to it, and I go... You know, is this really an old band, or is this some guys with a four track? That <laughs> yeah. Let's make this stuff and make totally. up a band. Who's yeah. going to know and yeah. sell it? Yeah. I always wondered if that there was some of that going on with like a lot of these reissues. Yeah. Like people, you never know. Well, there you go. It, yeah. it did in fact happen. <laughs> what else are you doing here in town before you take off? So I have a I have a daughter in Los Angeles as well. So she's uh, twelve years old. And uh, I actually came one week before to visit her and hang out with her, so that's what we do. So. Yeah, eat tacos. Yeah, eating tacos. That's yeah. what he does here. Yeah, my people in Bern are so jealous. You know, I'm a taco truck lo taco truck lover, so I go try to go to every taco truck I see. So, and I love tacos, horchata, and all that stuff. So. Can you make it at home? Yeah, Can we try, but uh, no, the beans are really hard. No. Mm -mm. Three. We try to fake it a little bit. So yeah, Robert Butler, the guy from Untold Fables, he lives in Bern. He has this press, taco press, so he makes his own tacos. Yeah, he's and doing we have these taco nights where all the uh, Los Angeles people from, uh, they come to live in Bern, they come to my place and we all eat tacos together. Do you have a favorite uh, Mexican restaurant here in town? Yeah. Uh, Taco no? trucks. No, the he's so like he just loves it all. Because yeah, yeah. we like we, we like El Compadre, truck the which is day. right over here. That's I a like good it. one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Kind of a good hang. Yeah, I like the music there too, though. Yeah. Yes, that's that's right. Uh, okay. Have, have a little go. trio mm -hmm. melts it out and they're good. King Taco is good. Yeah. Yeah, he just doesn't discriminate. All right. It's a taco. It's no, the, the best taco in the world. No, the King Taco, the first King Taco. I don't remember what it is. This is a really that good one's one. good. Yeah, really good. So you've never met a taco you didn't like. Yeah, there, there is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but mostly uh, street tacos I like the most. So All right, they can be pretty <laughs> amazing. Yeah, definitely for sure. Well, I really appreciate you guys coming by. It's been a fun interview. Um, encouraging everybody to look you up online, find out where the next shows are, and go see it. It's going to be a show to see. Yeah. I'm bring your wrestling mask yes. just in case. No, don't bring them. <laughs> no, 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 please no, don't please. bring them. No. Bring, <laughs> bring, bring your Bible. Bring Come your on. Bible. Yeah. Yeah, that's all right. <laughs> BYOB. All right, well, thanks very much, and uh, we'll Thank see you, you soon. Thank you so much. Cheers. Thank you for listening to the Tone Duff Sessions, a feature of Rare Bird Radio. Join us in the upcoming weeks when we will have authors, musicians, performers, hooligans, and scoundrels.